The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 12. Hello, and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hammerty. This week, at long last, we meet our title character. It's been nearly three months since the podcast started now, but it's worth bearing in mind that at the aforementioned average playing rate of about a thousand lines of verse per hour, we're only about a quarter of an hour into the play itself. While the build-up for us has been a bit protracted, for a theatre audience, it is nothing if not exciting. Shakespeare knows how to introduce an important character. He knows how to manipulate our expectation and our attention. This second scene of the play has endless theatrical potential in the ways he employs to introduce the young prince. He is only briefly mentioned at the end of the first scene, so we are a little bit curious. Shakespeare gives us information about what he should be wearing, about how he presents himself within the court, and even how Claudius seems to rank him in the pecking order. We've had the ambassadors, and then Laertes and Polonius. Of course, the oily king could make the point that he's going in reverse order of importance, saving the best for last, and you can imagine that he would, indeed. Perhaps we see Hamlet's reaction to Claudius' fawning treatment of Laertes, or perhaps he's clever enough not to show it. Certainly, Shakespeare is leaving room enough for us to get curious about this young man hovering on the edges of this scene thus far. He can't hover for much longer, since now Claudius addresses him directly. But now, my cousin Hamlet and my son... The word cousin, in the language of the day, was used freely to mean any relation just outside the immediate family unit. So, officially... Hamlet is Claudius's nephew, being the son of the new king's dead brother. Claudius seems here to be exercising some kind of control over Hamlet by identifying both aspects of their relationship. Not only the original relationship, but now indeed, Hamlet is officially Claudius's son in that Claudius is married to Hamlet's mother. Worth mentioning, of course, that she is also in this scene, at her new husband's side, and she, Queen Gertrude, will have her own first lines very shortly. Before Claudius can get past using the word son, Shakespeare gives Hamlet an aside. This is a play that makes very specific use of this convention, whereby a character can say what's on their mind and not be heard by the other people on stage. Sometimes this can be addressed directly to the audience, or sometimes staged as the dramatic equivalent to a speech bubble above a character's head, or indeed there can be an aside between two characters talking to each other. From Shakespeare all the way as far as House of Cards, it's an endlessly effective device. Of course, I'd love to tell you that Hamlet is the only character that gets to use it in the play, but Shakespeare is far more inventive than that, as we will see multiple times as we move forward. But, enough preamble, our title character is finally about to speak. Claudius speaks, and then Hamlet interrupts. But now my cousin Hamlet and my son, a little more than kin and less than kind, No accident that the first words out of Hamlet's mouth are a play on words. Hamlet is inferring here that Claudius is laying on the kinship a little thick. Indeed, he has announced himself both uncle and father in the previous line, while also pointing to the fact that it's not quite natural or unkind. It's a pretty great first line, particularly given all of the greasy, heavy-handed oratory that we've had from Claudius already. Hamlet's retort is quick and smart, and very elegant. This is going to get interesting, isn't it? The next volley begins with Claudius affably asking 
How is it that the clouds still hang on you? Anyone who has ever been bereaved might wince at a person asking, at any point really, as to why they still seem sad with the clouds hanging about them. Given Claudius's great statecraft speech here justifying his rather brisk marriage to the Queen, he presumably has no place for any leftover mourning. Hamlet will make a pretty big deal about this, so it's curious that it's the first thing Claudius brings up. But the king is no match for the young prince, who turns the weather metaphor right back around at him. Far from being darkened by clouds, he replies, Not so, my lord. I am too much of a sun. This is a very handy homophone here, which Hamlet exploits. Sun as in child of, and sun as in the sky both sound like each other. He's being very cheeky here, but it's just within the bounds of politeness. The point is that, of course, he's in a melancholy mood to see his uncle married to his mother. Or, indeed, that he's still in the position of being the son of the king. Why wouldn't he have succeeded his father himself? Even if in Denmark that is not the customary thing, no more than in Norway, as we have discussed elsewhere, this is just on the brink of an awkward topic to bring up, and so Queen Gertrude intervenes before things can get uncomfortable or even seditious. After a sequence of rather short exchanges between uncle and nephew, and you can feel the tension building up, it's very interesting that Queen Gertrude gets quite a few lines here, as though to, to cool the air somewhat. Good Hamlet, cast thy knighted collar off, and let thine eye look like a friend on Denmark. Do not forever with thy veiled lids seek for thy noble father in the dust. Thou knowst tis common. All that lives must die, passing through nature to eternity. The Queen is here encouraging her son to change out of his mourning clothes. Hamlet's choice of black clothing is almost a cliché in its familiarity to us, but that's not to say that there isn't great value in it. Here is someone whose father has died, someone whose father meant a great deal to him. Mourning customs throughout Europe dictate that people wear black for up to a year after the death of a loved one. Shakespeare has Hamlet in black, not just to have him be a moody young thinker who meditates on death, although that's a big part of it. His father just died. It should feel weird. And weirder still, his mother, the widow, is now telling him to change out of his dark clothes to be more accommodating to the new king. She suggests that Hamlet's downcast eyes are constantly looking for his noble father in the dust. Here she combines a literal and a metaphorical image, reducing Hamlet's melancholy almost to something silly, that he should just snap out of it. Thou knowest tis common, all that lives must die, passing through nature to eternity. I mean, she could almost be a Windsor when she talks like that, encouraging her royal son to stiffen his upper lip and move on. Said son is having none of it, and he has a sharp quip for her. Ay, madam, it is common. Just as he's managed to twist Claudius' words against him, he does the same to his mother. She is a queen, and we assume a legitimate one, unlike the questionable haste of her new husband's accession. And so, for him almost to spit the word common back to her is quite aggressive. Whether her behaviour is common, or her haste in remarriage, or her ability to forget her other husband and move on, Hamlet is not impressed. Shakespeare writes Gertrude as a very deft politician, I think. Just as she has intervened earlier, now she cuts off the end of Hamlet's line and continues trying to calm him, to listen to him. 
She ignores any personal attack that might be lurking in Hamlet's common and continues, If it be, why seems it so particular with thee? She's being sensitive. She's listening to him and she asks her son, what's actually bugging him? Depending on the way a given production has been staged, this could be in front of the whole assembled court, bear in mind. Hamlet answers, yet again taking one of her words and spinning his answer out of it. Seems, madam. Nay, it is. I know not seems. Tis not alone my inky cloak, good mother, nor customary suits of solemn black, nor windy suspiration of forced breath, no, nor the fruitful river in the eye, nor the dejected behaviour of the visage, together with all forms, moods, shapes of grief that can denote me truly. These indeed seem, for they are actions that a man might play. But I have that within which passeth show, these but the trappings and the suits of woe. This is the first insight that we get into the way that Hamlet thinks and speaks. This first extended piece of text from him identifies some of his major concerns and fixations. This is someone who is very concerned with appearance and reality. He doesn't for a moment want his mother, or anyone else listening, to think that he is just feigning his grief. He lists all of the trappings of his mourning outfit and appearance, a handy direct list from Shakespeare to the costume designer, and the various behaviours that might present mourning for or from an actor. Forced breath, some sort of gloomy sighs, a fruitful river of tears, a downcast face, and the various forms, moods, and shapes of grief. Hamlet is adamant that all of these are just outward things, things that seem, that denote. In his first big chunk of speech, he's already differentiating between what an actor might do and what a real person is. For him, seeming and being are two very different things. He will manipulate the difference in a variety of ways through the play, but for now, while on the outside he may present all of these things that seem to denote mourning, he has within him that which passeth show. What's inside is beyond any costume or habit or behaviour. What he feels isn't cursory or on the surface. It's an extraordinary complex notion. It's tremendous. But we'll leave it there for now and see how Claudius reacts in the next episode. Thank you for joining me this week, and as ever, you can find show notes and links to all of our previous episodes on our website, thehamletpodcast.com. I'll be back with another instalment next Sunday, and I hope you'll join me then.